step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height in the hat, put it all in the hat. Hello, and welcome back to Hat Radio. I'm Avram Rosenzweig, and this is the show that schmoozes. We're delighted to have you back. Thank you for joining us. I'm very, very happy to have with me on the show today my niece, and her name is Devorah Mason. Say hello, Devorah. Hi. Nice hi. And Devorah is, uh, she She moved to Israel. She made Aliyah. That, that means she moved up in life. That's a literal meaning, La'alot, to go up a number of years ago, of which we will talk about. She has a career in startups and technology in Israel. And, of course, she has a similar or somewhat a shared history with me. So we're going to talk about our family a little bit. So, firstly, welcome to Toronto. Thank you. When did you arrive? So it's welcome back to Toronto. Welcome back, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I arrived on Thursday afternoon and I had a chance to spend the weekend with my aunt, with you, your son Noah. Yeah, Friday night dinner, Shabbat dinner. We had a great time. Great. Really, su- really sweet boy. Did Love you appreciate son. my son? Really. And I think he appreciates you too. I, uh, well, yeah, he does. You <laughs> know what I mean? It's does. funny because the older he gets, the more of like a bosom companion he becomes. Yeah. He really, uh, he also has that like, dad. He's got that. Yeah. <laughs> he's annoying like me. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he's also got our wicked sense of humor. I just yeah. love that in him. He makes me laugh. By, do you, you have five kids. Yeah. Do they make you, do they, do they make you laugh your head oh, off? Like they can make me laugh to the point where you can't breathe. Right. And nobody else can do that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we were very happy that you were coming here because you haven't been here for three years. The last time you were here was when my mother, your baby, your grandmother was dying. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a difficult time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really, really hard. And I had a hard time actually coming back, thinking that when I come, she wouldn't be here. But, right, right. Uh, yeah, but then I realized that I really wanted to see my aunts and uncle. Thank you. And so I made a conscious decision to come. But what's yeah. your um, feeling about, or more so, how do you deal with the death of your grandmother? How do you deal with death? Um, I felt that the process of, of like mourning her was very natural. Like I let it happen, which I was really happy about. And I talk about her a lot. And one of the things I know is that so many of my friends call her Bubby Mm -hmm. and they know so much about her because of me. And they always say the ones who know her, love her. And the ones who never had a chance to meet her say, I feel like I know her. Because of how much you speak about yeah. it. Yeah. And I really also try to emulate a lot of the things she did and does uh, and like in her life, things that she did, behavior she, patterns. Like um, what? Um, one of her things was that she could make anyone smile. Yes. She could go into a store and the person could look like grim death, um, really miserable. You would think, you know, this person probably has never smiled in their lives and she could leave with the person looking, you know, like, you know, the jolly, uh, 
you know, like the most jolly person ever. You want to know an interesting thing? When I was at my sister uh, Layla's house for Shabbat, we were, her kids were talking, your aunt, we were talking about how uh, she has the ability to go into any store, let's say a drugstore, and to schmooze with the person behind the counter to know their lives and so on. And I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly what I do. And this is exactly what my entire family does. So we learned this, I'm assuming, from my father. I was thinking about it last night. And I think essentially is our our goals. And it's really nice to get close with my family because for years I wasn't. Because I start to learn who they are and how they operate. And then I learn more about myself. But I start to realize is that indeed we do share a similar DNA and a similar environment. And so far as our goals, all of our goals, are to make people smile, to make people happy. Totally. Right? Totally. Are you like that too? Oh, completely. And um, one of the challenges is that in Israel, smiling is not part of the culture. It's not. No. Well, if you smile at someone, they either think you're trying to pick them up or that you want something from them. Mm -hmm. And so, so often I walk around smiling and being friendly and kind to people. And I have to sometimes take a step back and remind myself that they may not understand that this is just because I'm being friendly. I don't want anything. You know, it's just how I am. And... Well, um, when do Israelis get warm? Um, their warmth happens when they see you a lot of times in stress or um, in times of hardship. Um, if they'll see someone, you know, people will, let's say, get pushed to get onto the bus. But then if they see, let's say, a mother with a stroller and kids trying to get on who's struggling, then even though they're all pushing, they'll all of a sudden open up their hearts to that person. Well, when I was in uh, Talmud school in back in 1978 I remember some horror stories on the Israeli buses I remember a woman with a baby we were going through a religious section of Jerusalem and a man was standing behind her a Hasidish guy in other words someone who was ultra right wing with the side curls and the black clothing and so on and he uh, wanted to get off the bus and he pushed her and the baby went flying off the bus so I think the other thing that's similar between us and our DNA is that we always know for every one awful story, there's yeah. so many good stories. So, so that's it. So you yeah. find the balance, yeah. right? Right? Yeah, like you have to look at the positivity, and I think there's a lot of positivity there. People have trouble seeing it are usually the ones who tend to leave because right. it overwhelms them. Right, they get overwhelmed with the yeah. bad stuff, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It definitely is a country of extremes. So just go, let's go back to Booby. So so you learned how to make people smile. What, what else did you learn? Um. I learned the value of developing yourself personally. Uh, Bubby was a person who always read, learned, went to classes, listened to music, explored. And uh, no matter what age she was at, there was always more to learn. I think we all have this great zest for for the world, for absorbing and learning. And some of us learn through people. Yes. Some of us learn through school experiences. Um, through our own families, I've learned so much from my children. So that to me is uh, something that I think Bobby really gave us. And the other thing that's so important is sentimentality. Which we have a lot of. Oh, my goodness. We have a lot of that. Yeah, which includes the love for family, being able to be sentimental together. (laughs) I mean, look, the first thing we're talking about is Bobby and our sentimentality. (laughs) Do you have people in your life, though, who just like, Devorah, enough with the sentimentality, enough. (laughs) So I'm actually very logical. Yeah. 
I'm very, very logical. So, but when I'm sentimental, it's usually with people in my family. <laughs> right. You know? Right. So, yeah, yeah. They're well, like, they're expecting it. Yeah. I'm assuming, though, and tell me if you think I'm wrong. I'm assuming most families, when they sit together, what do they talk about? They go, oh, remember 20 years ago when Uncle Morris came over and he ate all the cholent? And <laughs> I mean, that's what people talk about, isn't it? Um, maybe. I have to say my mother has an amazing memory, your sister. Oh, my God. Too so, good. It's too good. So, so that's my so sister, she remembers Etty. everything. She's the oldest of us five, yeah. and she lives in Jerusalem with her husband, Jack, and the six kids, all of whom are out of the house except for one. Um, and she's also a lovely human being. Lovely, yeah, my lovely. mother's amazing. Tenacious, right? Oh, my gosh. She's amazing. She's tenacious. She's so loving to everyone. I started a Facebook group at one point called the Levenstein Guest Book, yeah. where I wanted all the people who had come through her house to sign up, to sign in. That's nice. Like, because I feel like we don't even have a sense of the number of people who have come through the house. Unbelievable. And she, yeah. she also took in, they're called Chayelim um, Bodedim. So she had many lone soldiers. Lone soldiers, yeah. Um, one of the lone soldiers, his sister is one of my best friends today, who oh. I met by chance in the park. Oh. At some point, I had never known her. She became one of my closest friends. So a chayal boded is someone who moves to Israel, sometimes to go into the army, and they have no family there. So another family will take them in as a surrogate family. Yeah, it's not only the ones who move there alone. There's, for example, ultra-Orthodox soldiers who decide to serve in the army and their families um, abandon them. Do they? So oftentimes they are, they are defined as a lone soldier. Um, there's also uh, sometimes... Uh, kids when they come into the army if they have no relationship with their parents or with their family they can also request that designation and then they just get a little bit more support from the army the army keeps an eye out for them make sure they're okay gives them like a little bit more money per month not much but to get an apartment or gives them an apartment like to share with other soldiers right right yeah yeah right so i think we all share that character uh, characteristic and i think it's a beautiful yeah. one really i really do we're cheery sort of folk, and what I like about you and your sisters is that, uh, and your brother as well. We shouldn't we, sh we shouldn't forget Yosef. Good old Yosef. Yeah, uh, is that you guys are very effusive. You're very out there. You're very warm. You have terrific smiles. Everybody comments on your smiles, right? And uh, you guys really seem to get along and take care of each other. And you would think we get along. It must be because we're all very similar. We are all so different. Right. Right. And I think that also comes back to Bubby again, because Mummy has the same approach to family that Bubby did, which is that most important thing to me is that you all get along. Yes. I want you all to get along because we're family. Yes. And Mummy would say to me, your friends will always be your friends because you have to be nice to them and you have to act a certain way or else they won't be your friend. Yeah. But your family will always be your family no matter how you act. So you may as well be nice. Well, the cool thing about yeah. your parents is... Um, that you guys diverged f f from the road that they put you on. Yeah. And I'm thinking about pretty much all of you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so my as a parent, as a parent, and you're a parent, again, of five kids, as a parent, you know there is something within us that wants our children to be a certain thing or act a certain way. Now, you have a sister who is a Brusselover chassid, right? Right. Right. That and an is, artist. She, yeah, she's beautiful. She She's part of that very right-wing sect. They're called Breslavers, and they stem from Rav Nachman mi Breslav, I think in the 1700s. Right, in Uman. In Uman, which is the Ukraine. And essentially, their ideology is happiness yeah. and the spreading of God's word. 
but she is ultra right wing. So in the hot of Tel Aviv, she'll dress in long sleeves and a long dress, and she wears a wig, which is called a shaytel. Not yeah, not even only a wig. Sometimes even a hat with a wig. Like there's all these different types of. Now, of do you dress. see? Do you see past that, or do you see it as part of your sister? But yet that doesn't come in the way at all of your relationship. So I think that she. Uh, it was a process. It was hard for everyone at first, for her and for us. I think what really led the way was this desire to have a relationship with each other. Yes. And so in the end, everyone kind of compromised on things in order to make it happen. Really, you know, you do in the end have to compromise. And so, for example, when she comes for family meals, no one uses their phones, tablets, or television. Oh, really? And so families will say, but we want our kids to watch movies together. And we just had to get over that and say, kids, there's no movies because Auntie Tsipora is coming with her kids. And that's it. And they're cool with that. Yeah. And that's how it has to be. Like, But then there are things that she'll have to do, decisions she has to make that might be hurtful, but it's part of everyone choosing their lifestyle and um you know what my dad it took me time to realize this but they themselves are hippie rebels are they oh totally (laughs) and and i think they taught us to never just take any word for granted to not ever assume that one path is the right path just because everyone else is walking down it yes so i think we all turned out the way we were educated to turn out just not exactly do you, do you ever ex- do you ever examine your your position in life or your status in life as a daughter? Do you ever look at that and and determine what is this and what is it supposed to be? So um, I really try to um, not include in my life the word "supposed to," okay, because that's really uh, that's something that's overwhelming and. I think um, it will take away my ability to to have bliss in my life and and calm and to be able to be able to give of myself. So when I think about myself being a daughter, I do think about what it is I want to be able to give my parents and so and what I expect from them in a relationship. Um, and so my expectations of them, in a sense, are really just to stay loving and to love me for who I am. Mm-hmm. It's like a minimal expectation, but it's huge, right? It's both, yes. It's huge, right? Because like I don't expect money or shelter or, you know, that sort of thing, but I expect them to love me. My gosh. And they do, and they do that well. And they do it well. Yeah. Um, And then from my side as a daughter, I I feel that um, I have to negate my own needs often. I do feel that there's there's a hierarchy that I'm not there... I'm not at the same level. Like I have to bow my head. So how would you do that? Um, so um, if they have a need, I try to make time for that. If they ask me for something, which I wouldn't necessarily do for other people because like what? Give us my time example. is limited. Um, my mother sometimes needs a lift to the health food store. Um, and it's something that requires me to come into town and to take her and wait for her and take her back. And so if I can, I will make the effort to do that. Um, which I, you know, it's not, you know, it's because I know that's meaningful to her. Um, that's good. I call them um, all the time to speak to them, to see how they're doing. If they call me and I'm in the middle of a meeting or something, I'll answer. Um, and I try to also talk to them um, about things that cause them upset or distress and help them to resolve those within their minds, which also means sometimes being a mediator between everybody. 
um, helping them to see the other sides of people that they're involved with or family members or siblings. Your, your dad is a very interesting guy. He's uh, intellectual yeah. by nature, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's funny. He's sort of like an old Yiddish in some ways, right? He likes yeah. talking about herring. <laughs> well, he loves, he loves Fleischicks. Fleischicks is like meat. Yeah, he likes meat, yes. So my boys love him, so they think he's like the most awesome thing ever. Oh, they, they love my dad. Yeah. And they've like already told him that when he turns 70 next month, God willing, that they're making him his birthday, which includes a barbecue and lamb chops. And there will be, they said, Zadie, there will be no vegetables. The only vegetable at this barbecue will be the lettuce for your hamburger. <laughs> and they just think he's amazing. And So, yeah. so he's, 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 he's a funny man. He's yeah. a good man. Decent fellow. Um, he's not highly effusive, never really has been. But once you get to know him, you recognize the emotions that lie within. When you were growing up versus now... How did you see your dad? So he's always been very um, uh, consistent. So there's something very, very comforting that I know that my dad of 20 years ago and my dad today, he may have developed certain things. He may have learned more. He may be older, but he is dad. Like he is very, very consistent. And I love that. Very stable, salt of the earth, like true blue person. Um, I took for granted that the way he loves my mother yes, and the way he looks after her and cares for her, like in, in a loving way that like, I thought the world was like that. It was a little bit distressing when I went out into the world and realized that's not the reality. Well, how is the world? Um, the world is much more self-centered. Um, people have a hard time connecting and creating relationships, seeing other people. Well, how is your father to your mother? Um, he is uh, kind and giving and self-sacrificing without becoming a um be, like a, a like a rag like he's not a shmata you know he never no no one walks over him he still has his opinion he still stands strong but he can give i understand from my other sister Chavi that they have certain nights where they date now they've been married what 45 years yeah so sunday and monday they go to a class together sunday yeah. monday morning Tuesday, they go to Half Price Seniors movie. <laughs> How many shekels is and that? And my dad sends us pictures of him like buying popcorn and like... Does he? Oh my God. He sends us the most hilarious pictures. <laughs> and then they talk about the movie afterwards and we listen and we get all excited. You yeah. know, it's a whole event. Yeah. Wednesday, they go shopping for a Shabbat. Yeah. Thursday, my mom cooks and my dad has his synagogue right near the house that he goes to that, you know, it's like this little men's club, yes. you know, and he's been praying with people for 25 years and he knows that you know oh it's fascinating to talk to him about his synagogue because he tells me like you you go in there and he goes you see over there he goes that man is world renowned for his genius having to do with the second temple (laughs) has he told you this stuff so right so actually at one point i was working on creating a space tech conference and he's i found someone who works on medical space uh he he does he deals with the whole medical aspect of space travel because there's a lot of degeneration that happens when people travel to space and he's the head of the Herzog, you know, uh, geriatric. Uh, he, I think he's the head of the Herzog Hospital, maybe. He's, he And he prays with my dad on Saturday morning. And so when I, he, my dad said, oh, I'll introduce you to Dr. Kane because he'll be great for your conference. And like they pray together. So it was obviously, you know, but like the, an understanding. But isn't that in some ways sort of part and parcel of what Israel is? In other words... One of the things, I remember there was a family here in Toronto who were very auspicious in the Jewish community. 
And they were told that when you make Aliyah again, which is to move to Israel, to go up to Israel, that being said, it's like a holy thing. They were told it's going to be very hard for you to fit in because here you're a very big fish in a small pond. In Israel, you are just one of eight million more presidents, right? <laughs> Which is a classic line, I think, from Ben Gurion. Do you know that? Do you know that joke? I mean, I think everyone is a president. That's true. In Israel, everybody yeah. has an opinion. Everybody's important, right? And everybody has a resume. So there's something called the parliament. If you say to Israel, the like Israelis, the parliament, what does it mean? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of like um, when when old when the men retire. Um, and they're retirees, and they, they sit around in a circle, usually at a coffee shop or around a backgammon board or near the beach, and they're in a circle, and they talk as if they're running the country. <laughs> they refer to, like, you know, like all the old politicians by their first name as if they're, like, their close friends. You know, Menachem, Shimon, 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 you know. Yitzchak. And they all argue, and they do this every morning in their retirement, yeah. and they just sit there, and it's called the parliament, you know. <laughs> and it's it's funny, but... Uh, yeah, people are interesting, definitely interesting. There's a whole diversity, but people have a sense of responsibility. So, you know, in the world of psychology, there's a concept of dispersion of responsibility, that the more people that are around, the less likely you are to respond in times of need or emergencies. And they've done studies on that. And, you know, it comes back to the 70s, the Kitty Genovese effect where, you know. The, in New York yeah, City. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, that, by the way, is a woman was being raped or yeah. murdered. Over the span of three or four hours, and the guy left and came back. She was surrounded by apartment buildings. Tons of people saw it, and no one responded because yeah. they all thought someone else would respond. Well, that was one reason. It wasn't the only reason. There was a okay. series of reasons, but it's a fascinating, fascinating case. And they did to... studies on it afterwards, where they would lock people in rooms and they'd increase the number of people and create like a fire, a false fire alarm, or things like that, and see, yeah. depending on the number of people who responded and. In Israel, people have this feeling of responsibility regardless of the number. The number will only increase the effect of the response. And so I think about someone like um, the the past judge, I think his name was Elia Kim Rubenstein, who was a, a part of the, it was a Supreme Court judge. And if you see him walking through the streets of Jerusalem, he picks up garbage from the streets. Does he? He doesn't like to see Jerusalem become littered or dirty. He has a connection to the streets of Jerusalem. Wow. And he feels... A personal responsibility to keep it clean. So here, I want to take this uh, discussion and down that road. When I think about you being in Israel, somewhat vis-a-vis being here, because I can't help but compare the two, I th- I think of the majestic Israel. I think of the sun setting. The images that pop up in my mind is your parents' balcony, which is called in Hebrew a merpeset. Yeah. Do you know what that comes from? The word merpeset. Do you know the root of it? Mirpas or something, it's a beautiful word, which overlooks the city and you can see the old city. I remember the first time I walked out on your parents' balcony, I looked at my sister and there was a full moon in the in the sky, or at least that's how I want to remember it. And um, I turned to her, I said, Ed, I said, this is your place? You own this place? Right. I, said, I can't believe it. Right. I, 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 was, I, I couldn't breathe for a moment. So I have this sort of historical, spiritual view of you in Israel and what your life is like. You have to walk up how many stairs to your parents' apartment? Right. Well, it's 38, I think. But my home is an apartment building that if I come from the bottom entrance, it's 100. But from the street level, it's about 15. How are your knees? They're great going up, not so great going down. Welcome to 42. Isn't that something? But no, so it's about 18, it's about 15 stairs going up and I have a view of the Judean Hills. 
and I'm right near Bethlehem and like it's a beautiful view. So 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 I just want to take this a little bit further and then I want to hear what you have to say. Do you still have that breath that leaves you in Israel? You've been there. I mean, initially when in 1990 you left and came and left and came. But do you still have that sort of sense as my God, I'm in historical Israel? You know, one of the oldest countries in the world, the oldest people in the world. We're surrounded by archaeological digs which reflect biblical times. And here we are living in a country which is so built up um, and so number one on so many lists in so many different ways. So w w what is your sense? What are your feelings of being a citizen of Israel, or as we say in Israel, Eretz, in Hebrew, Eretz Yisrael? Well, I think we're right now talking about Jerusalem, which is like an important part of Israel. Um, I know I remember this one old man who moved to Israel. He lived in Beersheba and in the south. And when they asked him where he lives, he's always said Jerusalem. Because right. Tim, once he moved to Israel, he was in Jerusalem. So I'm taking, I'm using that as a preface to what I'm going to say because we're talking right now. I think a lot about Jerusalem. Um, I don't know if you know, but I ran a innovation center inside the Tower of David Museum, yes. which is at the Jaffa Gate. And my office, my personal office, was inside the Fazael Tower, Fazael in English which was one of the three towers remaining from King Herod's time that he built. And it was where the Pasha used to sit. And my office had a little slit for a window where there was an archer's window. Um, and I had rounded arches as doorways. And, wow. Right. And, it was, and if I went up one flight of stairs, I could be on the top balcony of the tower and have a 360-degree view of the entire Jerusalem. Wow. And that was my day. My day would be walking up from the stairs of the Mamila walkway, going up the stairs towards the old city, walking through the Jaffa Gate into the Tower of David Museum. And for two years, this is what I did. Mm. And, you know, obviously when you leave a position and whatever you have thoughts and you change and everything becomes very personal and whatever. And so it's not necessarily that I have one thought about Jerusalem that has continued on forever. I, I have to constantly recalculate and think about what I think of Jerusalem today. And recently I was in the Cinematheque, which is a, has a view on the balcony over. It was the Jerusalem Film Festival. And I was there for an evening event. And I looked out to this um, old city. And my friend who I was with said to me, what do you think about when you look at this? And I had no answer. And I've been thinking about it ever since. And I've been coming back to him with a few answers as I process it. Um, it's a city to me, but it has it's always this past, present, and future mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I have to recalculate mm -hmm. in my mind. But Israel is also Tel Aviv. It's the south. I love to hike in the south. I love going up the Engedi um, to the top where, they, where the water, the reserves are. It's beautiful there. And so there's a lot of places. I'm very much at home in Tel Aviv. My yoga center is there. All of my closest friends live there. Uh, I love the beach, which you don't have in Jerusalem. Right, right. Um, and I love the diversity there. Um, it's a different type of diversity. Jerusalem has a diversity of religion. Tel Aviv has a diversity of culture. Yes. So would you say over the years you've developed a relationship of love for the city and the country? Or is it, is it a love-hate? Because I hear that from a lot of people who live in Israel, from a lot of Israelis. Certainly there are those who will tell you, I love it. In Kamoaris, there's nothing like Israel and everything's perfect. But more often than not, there's a sense of, 
There's unbelievable things that occur in this country, and then there are not so great things. I don't think people who say Israel is amazing, it's perfect, there's nothing like it, are being realistic there. It's it's like it's political jargon, and I think that it's okay to feel both sides of it. I think it's okay to accept. I mean, all of the scriptures about Jerusalem talk about hardships. Talk about the hardship that yeah, you true. are required to attain it. So why do we not want to give validity to that? Well, I think we do. And um, in Jerusalem, there's a lot of hardship that is required in order to attain the the um, the presence there. There's a lot of poverty in Jerusalem. There's poverty. Um, and it's a city where four religions are living. Um, it's very challenging. Um, but it's actually... In my mind, it's the way I look at it is it, I look at it as quite a peaceful city. Oh, do you? Oh, very much so. There's expression of like of religion, religious need, um, cultural needs that come up every once in a while. Like if you go near the ultra orthodox areas on Shabbat in a car, they tend to have you know protests and so on where they'll you know protest the driving and and do things that can be quite. Get, get out of hand if like i might throw say so. stones yes yes well there's a lot israel has a lot of stones in it it's like a problem it because it's one of the most used weapons and i think that's a problem but okay whatever if we had grass like we have here like earl bell's park what are you going to do throw a blade of grass at someone you toss some weeds <laughs> toss some weeds. You're like i'm going to get that dandelion i'm going to show you i'll like, show you buddy i'll show you with yeah. this dandelion like, right like there's grass what's going to happen you know <laughs> that's very good but there it's rocks it's like handy you know i mean david and goliath Correct. I mean, look at that story, That's right. right? Central story. Talk too. about a handy rock, you know. <laughs> right, right. So, but but in um, uh, when it comes to uh, the the behavior of people, I feel like they have a right to express their religious needs, and sometimes it gets out of hand because people fight about actively about religion, politics, and I think women. Right? Are those the three things people go to war for? Yeah, and water. <laughs> No, really, water is a big deal. Right, so that's land. That's like, like one day, Canada, on Canada like, will be taken by the Americans because we have so much water. I think that's land, though. That's land, water, resources. Land, land, fair like, enough. Yeah, land yeah. and water. Do you know any uh, Haredi families, right-wing, uh, ultra-religious families? Yeah, sure. Do you? Yeah. Like friends with them? Well, I'll tell you. Did my... you see Stissel, by the way? <laughs> no. You didn't see Stissel. Okay. No. You, you live Stissel in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... My connection to the world, the diversity of the world comes through my the, the tech ecosystem that I'm involved with. Mm -hmm. So the government will come up with solutions for integrating the ultra-Orthodox into the workforce or training them or the um, the Arab culture, um, Arab population getting them involved in tech. And, and in the end, all of those policies and, you know, municipal solutions or governmental solutions, in the end, it's actually individuals who make the difference. Um, we work largely with a diverse population from local to international. I mean, when I grew up, I grew up mostly in a bubble. Mm -hmm. So as a Jew, it was us and them. Yes. And us wasn't only Jews. Us was religious Jews. Them was everybody else. Right. And my parents have opened their perspective because of us kids being out there in the world, working specifically in Israel, where a huge part of the the workforce comes to Israel. 
um, searching for business or connections or seeking out tech. So we are highly connected to a large part of the world. I mean, I've been in Japan. I've been in the Philippines. Um, I've traveled around America, Europe, and at the same time also within Israel, um, working with Muslims, Christian Arabs, um, with uh, ultra-Orthodox, and a lot of it comes from the tech ecosystem bringing people together. I don't really believe that the politicians run the government anymore. I think it's actually the entrepreneurs. Well, and I who, think inevitably that's what happens in any country. Let's let's segue that into where you live. You, li- you live in a town, a village, a small city called Efrat. Correct. D- tell us where it's situated. So if you go to the south side of Jerusalem, um, you reach Bethlehem. And right after Bethlehem is an area called Gush Etzion. On the left side of the road is Efrat, which spans the entire road until the next junction. Yes. And on the right side are three other small Yeshuvim, and I lived in the big one called Efrat on the left side of the road. Uh, is that considered? That's considered over the green line. It's considered over the green line, but pre six, but pre sixty seven border, something like that. I'm not. Uh, so basically, like it's not the type of land that's negotiated for return in the Oslo Accords. I, I don't really follow it so closely. I basically. I lived there. I lived there originally because of the educational education system there, which is good. Yeah, I don't know if you know, but Rabbi Riskin runs. Uh, he's um, an amazing leader, amazing Jewish leader. He's brought a lot of the world of evangelical um, Christians to support Israel, and he's he's brought a lot of good for that to Israel because of him. And he runs a few schools, seven or eight, and then there's other schools within Efrat um, that are fabulous and. My kids are so happy. Um, they each are, have been in diverse schools. Each one is different. Um, so I'm, I've kind of made that conscious decision to stay there as long as they're in school. Okay. Now, I know, too, that the road that you take to get home, there have been a number of terrorist attacks on that road. You, you know people who have yeah. been killed on, the roads, on those roads. And you also know an individual uh, who was killed in a new sort of mall that was built in Efrat. In other words, you have been close friends with people who have been killed, who have been murdered. More than just the recent killing of uh, Ari Fold. I mean, um, Ari Fold lives on my street. Um, he was well, an he activist, did. right? He was an activist. Um, he was killed in a plaza south of us. Um, uh, it's called, uh, it's just the Gush Etzion Junction. Um, he had gone to go shopping at the grocery store there. That grocer, that plaza is also where my 18-year-old son works yeah. in the restaurant. He does deliveries. Um and um, it's the plaza I usually go to for most things. My youngest son doesn't want to go there ever. I have to kind of um, um, kind of get him to go with me on special occasions or whatever. But Because he's afraid. Because he has anxiety from that. He doesn't want to be there. Um, they had a memori- memorial there for Ari after he had been killed. And my son was very unhappy to go there once he saw that. That was very upsetting to him. He asked a lot of questions. Um, there's more things. I mean, we've had, um, you know, my, when my son was 18 now, he also had a rabbi, a teacher of his, um, in high school who was shot while waiting in the traffic there. Um, there's a lot of, it's, I, I call it the wild West bank Mm -hmm. in many regards because, um, it, it can be uncertain, but also it can be extremely, um, interesting, diverse and 
We also are surrounded by Arab villages that we also have them working in the yeshuv. We um, we also shop at the stores around us. My will you, will you go into those villages? So my 18-year-old um, speaks fluent Arabic, um, Palestinian Arabic specifically. I know there's, there's different dialects. And so he can go, and I'll go with him, because there's a huge disconnect in Israeli culture by the fact that we don't speak that language. Yes. And if we don't speak Arabic, it's hard to communicate. Um, if we think about um, immigration cultures where people didn't connect because they couldn't speak the language, it's very challenging. You were telling a story the other night over dinner that your son went uh, to the apartment of some of the people whom he works with, fellow employees, um, Arab teenagers like him, right? Um, so I think he was trying to make a point. He has um, a lot of uh, mixed feelings about the politics in Israel, and he was making the point to me as his mother. And if anyone has teenage children, I'm sure you can imagine that they don't always make decisions based on their best um, right. uh, judgment. And so I called him, and as a, you know, I raised my kids um, in a very uh, liberal way because I don't believe in dictatorship and I don't believe in one way for each child. So I know how his brain works, and I called him and I said to him, do you feel that you're making wise choices today? And he said, yes, I do. And I knew he was just being, you know, um, difficult and challenging. And so I said, okay, because I hope you are because, you know, I worry about you and I care about you. That's why I left it, but we did have a conversation about it afterwards. Um, what was not wise about it? So there's a difference between being right and doing the right thing. Um, if if I if he feels that he should be allowed to go into certain areas, he might be right. Many Israelis and Palestinians are unhappy with the borders that exist today, and so most people don't want to have to follow those borders. Whether it's Jews who say I don't want borders in my country, right, it right. should be one country, or whether it's Palestinians who say I don't, I don't want to be separated out, or I don't want you to put borders on my land, so it, it becomes very challenging. The whole issue of borders, like we were saying, land is a very challenging thing, and a lot of Israelis go into the areas they're not supposed to go into by political reason, like the the areas that are marked off as. There's A, B, C. I, you know, I also, once again, I don't know the details. I'm not an expert in that. But I, the signs say, you know, Israeli citizens are not allowed in. And, and Israelis do go in because they feel like they should be able to travel freely. But if there was something to happen to one of them, who would ultimately be the people who'd have to go in to rescue? It'd be somebody else's son who's a soldier who would now be responsible to save my son. And I don't think that that's fair to put other people at risk because I'm fighting the politics that exist. So... Devorah, tell me then, I think you'd, you'd, you'd consider yourself somewhat left of center, right? Mm -hmm. How does that translate? You're not, well, you're, you're, you're not a political scientist, but no. how does that translate? And in Israel, it has to translate. You have no choice, right? You're living it. It's a really hard thing to say because left-wing isn't what it means in Canada. Um, Left wing oftentimes um, can parlay itself into the belief that we should have one country. One country means that everyone will have citizen rights. People don't realize that sometimes when they say, I want one country. Yeah. One country means that we are going to offer rights to people who don't have uh, citizen rights right now. And there's like, let's just first of all completely put off any type of suggestion that people are leaving. No one's leaving. 
Everyone's staying. Muslims, Christians, Druze, Armenians, Jews, everyone's staying. People have to accept that. Right. That's like the that's the basis of all discussions. Like, let's not live in La La Land. Yeah, it's annoying when you hear. It's annoying. Well, they should leave. No one's where are they going? Yeah, they're not. They leaving. have big countries. Oh, okay, wonderful. Like, yeah. they don't, they're not going anywhere. Okay, so let's just put that as a basis. Then the question is, um, if there's different rights for different people based on like when they arrived, what their religion is, you know, what they give to the country. So then we would get into a huge hodgepodge of like, of a mess. Yeah. We would say, well, the Haredim, the ultra-Orthodox, they don't serve in the army, so they're not real citizens. They're not fulfilling their civic rights, their civic duties, so they shouldn't have civic rights. And then we would decide to take that away, and we, we're not doing that. And Israel is a very fair governance in many regards of like maintaining the status quo. So in, many, oftentimes you think that the way to create peace is to change things. Yes. And I feel that the actual population believes in maintaining so not making any huge changes the Oslo Accords was a huge change it created a huge amount of of unrest in the country and it changed a lot of the structure that was challenging but I don't I don't know if that made things better for people um so I people inside Israel proper I don't see it as apartheid like people completely mix they um, they are given the rights as whoever has Israeli citizenship, but um, there's so many different opinions and approaches. There's so many different lives living inside the country. I mean, I would not necessarily want to ever be prime minister. That yeah, would be what a very difficult challenging, job. Challenging as can be. I would love to be the mayor of Jerusalem. You knew him, didn't you? Um, well, I knew Nir Barkat, of and now um, Moshe Leon, who surprised us all, uh, he was highly regarded by the ultra-Orthodox uh, voters. And um, he is extremely caring, um, uh, motivated, uh, strategic person with a mind for business. And I have a lot of hope for his leadership. Yeah, very good. That's yeah. nice to hear. Right? You know, I have to tell you something. You're... You're very vivacious in nature, you know. You're very out there. Uh, you're full of life. I'm sure there's a morose side to you. There always is. <laughs> but when we started talking about something which was akin to politics, your body language changed. Did your it? your eyes sort of drooped a little bit. It was like you became a little bit weary for a moment. When we were talking about Jerusalem, we were talking right. about your mom and dad, the hundred steps right. you need to walk up. You just <laughs> you you just light up. You illuminated. But then you got a little bit weary. Yeah, I I don't know if politics are relevant anymore today. Like it's, I feel like the whole Knesset and leadership and everything is so separate from the people. Mm -hmm. I feel like the country is the people today, not because of the leaders, but in spite of them. Isn't that awful? Oh, I often feel like that about the world. Do yeah. you? Yeah, I get that entirely. I yeah. think that the people are creating an amazing country in spite of the leadership. And you would include the Arabs in that? Um, well, I'm less involved in their um, in their culture, in their world. But I do see like there's a desire by most people, whatever their religion is, to have a family, raise the family. Always, yes, sir. Provide for the family, like to have, um, to live with respect. So respect to in Israel, I mean, in general in life, we're not talking about the... You know, the life that I see here in Canada, I have to say, like, it's a really, um, it's a really rich life here. 
um, with a lot of like expectations. But I think in Israel, the expectations are to be able to pay your bills, pay your bills and live with your family or, you know, and that sort of thing. So you moved to Israel in 1990 the first time, right? Yeah. How old were you when you made that first trip? So like, I think I should be given an award for being extremely Zionistic because I made Aliyah twice. Yeah, you went in 1990, <laughs> uh, second time 1996. No, I left in 96. Oh, sorry, you left in 96. You had your four children here in Toronto. You went back in 2006? Yeah, uh, and, then you and my fifth was born there. Fifth child in 2009. So do, do you have a, are you a little bit Canadian or are you a little bit Israeli? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if you shift to the left, does the Israeli stuff pour into the Canadian <laughs> side? By the way, you know where I get that from? Where? My sister Naomi always quotes that, Charlie Brown. He was talking to Lucy. Did, were you a, a fan of Charlie of Brown? Of course. My dad had tons of Charlie Did Brown. He? We That's read right. them as kids. That's right. I yeah. Anyway, so, so he goes, uh, Lucy says, oh, Charlie Brown, I'm so sad. Charlie Brown says, well, Lucy, you know, we have a happy side to us and we have a sad side <laughs> to us. So just move a little bit to the right, you know, shift <laughs> over. And then you'd see, you know, Charles Schultz would would, 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 would uh, create this picture of her leaning a little bit, you know, to the right. <laughs> and you'll see that the sad side will pour into the good side and you'll be happier. Right. <laughs> I like that. I like that there are solutions that are so practical. <laughs> yeah, really practical. Yeah. Really practical. Yeah. So I think in Israel, I'm very Canadian. And in Canada, I'm very Israeli. Oh, how does that work? So like, okay, first of all, the way I dress. Um, when I'm in Israel, people will say to me, uh, you know, so so American uh, style can be also very traditional. Um, so think think about the gap and Old Navy and... Well, you're wearing ripped jeans. Well, that's right. That's the European side to me. Can I ask you something about ripped jeans? You may. Thank you. You're welcome. So, so sorry to interrupt you, but I always wondered. So you go, and I know I'm sounding, you know, my age, <laughs> and, and you see, and you see ripped jeans, <laughs> and I love them. Okay, and you pick them up, and and you can see the light through them, like. <laughs> No, seriously. I remember when I was a little guy, I, I used to, I did this literally. I would buy a pair of running shoes and for some reason I thought it was cool to rip them to pieces and I would really? cut holes in them. So you see these ripped jeans, right? And 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 I guess you get really excited the more rips there are. Would that be accurate? I don't know. I feel like my dad would go to the checkout and say something like, okay, so these are these are four yeah. rips, so can I get it for discount? Yeah, like, your dad would say that. Right? Yeah, like yeah. based on the number of rips, like what's the discount? Yeah, right? exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. But how do you look at ripped jeans? I'm just, I've always wondered about that. You don't see uh, the rips or you see them as part of the, the pant? Um, yeah, I really <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> it's more important uh, than politics. In maybe Israel. it's like the air holes. I feel more comfortable. Do you, you feel know? like there's air coming? Uh, okay. Okay. Being able to like, you know, touch a bit of my leg, I guess. I also find it fascinating. And tell me if you agree with this. I find it fascinating how our eyes, how our minds um, digest uh, what we perceive or what we conceive to be fashion. So actually, we don't see with our eyes. We see with our mind, um, which they learned. Uh, actually, the person who was the developer of the HoloLens, one of the first developers, I think his name was Rotem Bennett. He later went on to learn uh, uh, psychology, um, do his master's and so on. And it's, he talks today a lot about um, how people see with their minds. Yeah. And um, he shows all these examples of uh, the way people see because the HoloLens, which is an augmented reality headset, has a very limited scope of view. And yet you can people feel like they're in an immersed world when they wear it. And it's because of the understanding of how our brain sees. So yeah. just as an example, I have one eye that's nearsighted and one is farsighted. Oh. 
And my whole life, I've been like that, but my brain sees equally. I see balanced, right? Because your brain is the one that sees, not your eyes per se. Do do you have a full realization that there's only one of you (laughs) in the world? Um, Did you ever grapple with that? So someone recently said that the chance of a person being born on this earth is, oh, you know who it was? It was Gary Varnachuk, Gary V. He recently said the chance, I think there's the chance of you being born is one to a trillion. So instead of you always complaining about your life, be so, <laughs> am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you can swear. Yeah. Be so fucking grateful that you have a life yeah, because yeah. your chances of you being here is one in a trillion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but do you understand what I'm, I'm, I'm like? Do you have a great, a, a really solid sense of individuality? Yeah, I do. And I, I think the people I connect to are people who are um, able to see that individuality, but also that I can see a specialness in them as well. I like individuals. I I don't necessarily connect to people who are um, who are doing, well, Can we? I'll use the word should again, doing what they should be doing. Because okay. I don't love the word should. So you see your children separate from you? My children I see separate from me. They're extremely individual, each one of them, very, very much so. Um, so I was just saying that in, in Israel, people see me as Canadian. Um, my behavior, smiling, uh, manners. Um, and I think they don't understand the concept of our family, like that we're so many generations Canadian and right, that right. I, you know, I, I want to spend time with my family more than anyone else, those kinds of things. And on the other hand, when I'm here, I'm very Israeli. People um, ask me questions all the time. They're interested to hear, like, you left 13 years ago, you came back. What have you been doing on those 13 years? Like, what's this new you? You know, I left religious. I used to wear a wig. Um, a, a, a spiritual garment, right? Right. It's like right. a spiritual garment covering my hair. I remember you did. Yeah, I was. Um, Are you religious now? So I'm spiritual. Okay, good enough. Good answer. Um, I, I basically don't. So my, my approach to life is uh, one of no suffering. So, for example, if a ritual, a spiritual ritual or something that's a religious ritual gives me pleasure or something that I feel is like memorable or something that I enjoy doing, I do it. Something that I think I feel causes suffering, Um, unlike in religious beliefs where you believe that suffering brings you to the be virtuous. I don't see the world like that. Um, I don't believe that suffering brings virtue. So if there's something that makes me suffer, I don't choose that path. Um, and so my spirituality has to come from um, being able to uh, see the world as a as a real whole, as a, seeing the reality of the people out there and understanding that each person looks at the world differently and accepting that. I think to some extent Judaism tries to answer the question of suffering, why suffering. Right, right. Um, and there are many, many different answers to it. I'm, I'm not sure that mainstream Judaism would say there's something virtuous about suffering. I don't think so. Um, but rather let's identify what this is, why it exists, why God may have uh, created it, and what we're supposed to do with it. So, right, so we don't believe in suffering as a concept of something that creates virtue. Christianity, I think, has a more, more, right? Mm. But I think that there's there's things that people suffer from that they're not willing to accept is, is hard for them. They accept it as being part of just an, you know, that's how it is. So just an example, on a fast day, um, like today, like today. Yeah. So fasting would be something that you know you might struggle, but it brings you to a greater whole, to some sort of an elevated being. In a sense. spiritual yeah, height. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that um, maybe this comes back to the fact that I, 
you know, people would laugh when I would say this, but I'm a single mom, okay? When I got divorced, I was 32 and five kids under 12. Yeah. I had been a stay-at-home mom. I had to build up my career. I'd always been a writer, always been a learner. I always been working. I did PR. I was, I wasn't completely off the charts, but I didn't have that experience and that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, I wasn't integrated into the workforce and I had to do a lot. I had to look after kids on my own. I had to deal with like working long hours. I had to figure things out. I really went through a lot. And I recognized that there was suffering in the world that I didn't choose that would come its my way anyways. It, yeah, it would reach It would you. come. It would eventually reach you. It yeah. comes. And I would have to say, okay, there's going to be suffering that comes my way that I'll have to accept. And whether it's with love or compassion or whether it's with hardship and pain and suffering, I'm going to make sure to minimize the amount of pain in my life and suffering that I choose willingly. And so that's the that's the life um, philosophy I live today. Um, I have great joy in giving. So to me, that's not a thing that causes me pain. It causes me joy. I have a great joy in my work and working with people, giving to companies as well, startups that I can help, women who are going out into the workforce. Um, I have a great joy in supporting my friends, being a listening ear. Um, I have... I have a great joy in being there for my parents, my family, my children. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't believe in um, in arguing and fighting. It's not because I'm a pushover or because I, I'm averse to conflict. It's because I do believe that there's a way to resolve conflict. Usually um, it's not that far away from us. It's yeah. within our grasp. And, and that brings me a lot of peacefulness in my life. And uh, yeah, I... Plus, plus you're very neurotic, aren't you? Um, am I? <laughs> what am I neurotic about? I think we're all neurotic, to be honest with you. I'm highly neurotic. Are you? Yeah, I figure if you're part of our tribe, i.e. our family, you have to be neurotic. So actually, I'm not. You're not neurotic. <laughs> no. Okay. Would your family agree with that? I think so. Okay. Um, I think uh, a large part of that has been my journey as a yogi. Uh, about three years ago, I woke up one morning in Tel Aviv after partying all night. We woke up late. We were like, oh, let's go to yoga. You know, just like <laughs> fools, fools like after a night of partying. Yeah, let's make our bodies heal by going to yoga. Yeah, hangover yoga. Yeah, hangoveryoga.com. Yeah. So I go and we look and we're like, oh, here's a place. There you have classes at 1030. Let's go. And I head out to this place. It's called Pranaya Yoga. And it's on, run by this woman, Shakti Mai, who had a school in Vancouver for many years until she felt her mission was to come back to Israel and open a school here. What street was it on? Um, Chovevetzion. I, I love the names of the streets. Yeah, it's right there's... off of Bogoshov. And it's a street. It's a very historic street. There's always tours going on. One of the famous musicians lived there. It's a sign of his, outside his house. It's, I can't Sfika remember. Pick? No. I just thought I'd throw that out. I, I know, <laughs> and Chovevetzion is lovers of Zion. Yeah. And talking about Zion, I love there's a street in Jerusalem, I believe, called Rehov Penis. So, right. So, in... English, it should be pronounced pine. Pine. And in Hebrew, they call it penis. And there's many, many terrible names. You know, in Hebrew and English, culturally, the turnover, I mean, the name moron, like moron. <laughs> you know, I know someone who came to to America and he changed his name. Uh, doo-doo. Yeah, like, doo-doo. Come on. Like dog doo-doo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, seriously, right. <laughs> like, find a new name. Do- doo-doo on. is like David. It's David, right? Yeah, it's David. Right. It's like the the right. like the loving version nickname of David. Right, God right, right. So so now you're a yoga instructor. Yeah, so I, I for a year I practiced under Shakti's tutelage, um, and then I went and did her course. I decided that I wanted to increase my knowledge and my training. I did a two-year program with her. Um, I graduated recently. 
And Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, and God willing, when I get back to Israel after my trip to Toronto, Houston, New York, um, I'm hoping to start teaching classes in Nevei Tzedek by my friend. She has a home there. And for my 42nd birthday, she bought me equipment for our yoga studio. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't Deborah. that lovely? I'm so proud of you. That's beautiful. Yeah, we're excited. So how nimble are you? So yoga uh, is not about being um, an acrobat. It's not Cirque du Soleil. People think yoga is about like being super flexible. Yes. Um, yoga is about increasing strength and flexibility through the practice of asanas. Asanas are the different positions within yoga. Uh, most yoga that people practice today is called hatha yoga, which is based on movement. There's different types of yoga, like worship yoga, which is what you see in the temples in India. Yes. And there's learning spiritual yoga, which is based on scriptures. And so hatha is what most people know as yoga today. Hatha is based on movement um, and asanas, which are the positions. Uh, I, you don't, you don't train to achieve, you train to be like you do yoga to be. So, so you don't have a goal. And if you do yoga without a, a specific goal, then you can constantly find yourself. Um, you're always reaching it. Right. So you're mm -hmm. right. And you're also deepening your stretches. You're increasing your strength, but without that being the goal, it happens naturally. Yes. So, so, uh, and yes, I'm very flexible. Are you flexible? Yes, I am. Downward dog and the like. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was also a gymnast as a kid, and I think your body has muscle memory and flexibility. It's really good to keep kids active from a young age. Yeah, no. Your son it, Noah plays hockey. He plays hockey, yeah. It's so yeah. good for them to have that in their lives. No, no, it, it really is. And uh, it's, um, Something that not only is good in terms of, he's a boy, I mean, he needs to move around. But it's not only good in terms of the physical outlet, but it's also good in terms of the spiritual outlet, the mental outlet. Like I said to him today, I said, no, listen, the reason why you play hockey is because you love it as a sport. He says, he said to me, daddy, it's a lot more than that. You know, and, and, and again, I throw this really? out to you. Aren't you mesmerized by your children's Amazing. wisdom? Amazing. I don't know where they get, it's stored in there, I think. Is it stored in there in the world? Well, maybe you're also giving him the freedom to have wisdom. A hundred percent. He's got lots of You don't of tell him what he should be thinking. No, no. And so there's like this opportunity for them to become that best of who they can be. So so today we were having a discussion about he he's obstreperous when it comes to Judaism. I really fucked up. <laughs> I really Wait, fucked up. Wait, explain to me. What does that mean? Does he... He, he is like, oh, I don't want to learn about Judaism. And to some extent, I understand that unless you're sort of a spiritual child by nature, or unless you're a kid who likes to learn ceremonial things, yeah, yeah, ritualistic stuff and so on. I understood that. I understand that. But I said to him, I said, listen, you're a Jew and it's important for you to know who you are. And he'll say, well, it's not important to me. I said, yeah, it is important to you. He goes, that's not who I am. <laughs> I go, it yeah, is. that's who you are. <laughs> So I like doing that, you know. Of course, I don't believe that. He is who he is. He thinks he is, right? But you have to steer your kids. There's no question about yeah, it. Yeah, you do have to steer them. I feel like we're more uh, shepherds than dictators. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and that I think helps them to stay yeah. on the right path. Keepers But of also gift. gives them a chance to graze. Yeah, well put. Well put. Someone once told me is, is like, you know, your kids are like bumper cars. <laughs> You know, really? yeah, yeah. Your Why? kids are like bump. Why? Because, you know, when you go, do you have bumper cars in Israel? Yeah. What do they call them? Bumper cars. You know? um, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, I like in Israel when they change English, they just. Bowling is bowling. Is it called bowling? Bowling. Really? <laughs> it's like you talk about a bad word. Uh, really? It's, like, it's like probably on Rahul penis, right? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I heard all the bowling alleys in Toronto have closed down. No. Really? There's no bowling in Toronto. There's no bowling. My Auntie Linda just told me that. 
Do you remember that I'm disgusting suspect. wet ball you used to wash your hand on and then wipe on that yeah, disgusting yeah, towel? Yeah. Put your feet into these disgusting well, I, I put, shoes. I used to put my face on it. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe, maybe the health, uh, yeah, the department health was like, this isn't working for us. Right, right, right. But, but we survived bowling. I loved bowling. I was going to take Noah today, but there's no more bowling in wash Toronto. Wash your hands on the disgusting. See, ball this this like... is an apartheid country. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so listen, I want to talk to you about your career because you've had a very, very interesting one, some of which you touched on already. But today, as a career, um, you, you're part of Startup Nation, um, and your job is to scout technology and to help startup uh, scale into global markets, which is fascinating. And to a large extent, so many people think about Israel in that context. So walk us through a little bit. You wake up early in the morning, you make your kids their lunches or they buy them at schools and you go off to work. Where do you go? What do you do there? So my my career is like really diverse. So I don't know every day where I'm going to be. Right now, let's say I'm working with a, a startup that's focused on STEM education. Um, as in STEM in, cells. Yeah, no, as in like science, technology, engineering, mathematics. It's an acronym for... Um, the type of learning that the kids are oftentimes not given the right access to in schools and in the school system and formal education. So we were creating a, a solution for that in the informal way okay. through media and interactive experiences and so on. And for instance, we have like a filming studio in an old chicken coop in a moshav called Matzliach near Ramla. Okay. Like we took a chicken coop, made it into a film studio and we do our filming there. So like Is there we any... love inviting people to it. Is there anything chicken coop about it? No, but like there's a tractor parked in the yard. Okay. Right? And like we, yeah, it's such it's such a small little like, yeah, a little moshav, like a little town and a little village, whatever. And um, then I will sometimes go into Jerusalem. There's a building there called Beit Alliance. It was once a French school. Today it's the home of Mass Challenge Accelerator, mm. um, one of the biggest accelerators in the world. There's the, they made a conscious decision to open the branch in Jerusalem as opposed to Tel Aviv like other accelerators. Well, what is that, an accelerator? An accelerator is basically a program, usually three to four months, where they help startups at one stage reach another stage upon completion. Oh, wow. And develop certain parts of their concept, business model, um, funding opportunities, team, understanding of the market, and so on. And this one is a nonprofit organization, Mass Challenge. I've had a longstanding relationship with Mass Challenge, I have to say. Um, I have offices there in, in Mass Challenge, I just want to say. And we're my, the company I'm working with now are alumni. And my sister Miriam is also an alumni of Mass Challenge, and she sits in the same room as me with her team. Her team has grown so much lately in her startup that they're actually moving into a bigger room. But but it's an amazing um, it's an amazing place. I Mass Challenge Boston before it opened in Jerusalem was the home of the of the accelerator where the previous startup I was in participated. It was called Voiceit. They helped. Uh, they were an assistive tech company right. that helped uh, people with speech disabilities. And when they opened up in Jerusalem, I was the I was considered the alumni of Mass Challenge that was there to mentor and be a part of the new accelerator in Jerusalem because there were no previous cohorts oh. in Jerusalem. So I was an alumni because I came from the previous one in Boston. Oh, fantastic. Um, and the, you know, the, the founder of it also loved us and they were so happy that we joined again. And, and then after that, Miriam was my sister, my older sister was part of the mass challenge. She was her startup went through that. And so our offices are there in Jerusalem. And so when I'm in Jerusalem, I go there, it's right inside the Shuk. I walk into the Shuk to eat my lunch. 
Um, the shook is the is the market, the market. Jerusalem market. Yeah, Machana Yehuda is what they call it. Machana right. Yehuda. There's culinary tours going through there. People of all different types. The old people who still shop there. You know, the young people who come through to see what a market is like. It's become a little bit more hoity-toity, like upscale. A little trendy, eh? Yeah, like it's like red like, peppers are. Yeah, like there's like a cheese. Yeah, there's right? like a cheese store that like is right there. That like I'm like you know, dude, I know you're gonna rip me off. Like I'm not buying like your hundred shekel piece of brie or whatever. Like yeah, you know, just, right, right. Just I'll, get away. Like, I'll make my own. Brie, I'll make damn my. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'm buying a cow and I'm yeah. making my own cheese this afternoon. Yeah, so yeah. you know it's it's a little bit yeah trendy these days, but it's really beautiful and uh, so that's a nice feeling walking through there. Different vibe, of course. And then when we're in Tel Aviv, there's a office there called Startup Nation. Um, well, there's a company. It's a nonprofit called Startup Nation. One of the big uh, platforms for searching out companies, investors, so on. They offer a lot of support. They bring companies together. They bring big delegations. Just recently, Robert Kraft. Uh, who owns the Patriots, brought the Patriots to Israel, and they came to see, they asked us right. to set up, and we presented to the Patriots. Oh, how was that? That was, it was interesting. Um, uh, we we made a molecular gastronomy bar. We made, <laughs> like, cocktails for them, like adult version ones that were, like, yeah. showing them how to make these little juice spheres um, and talked about the science behind it. What and, did the guys look like? So some of them are retired. Like, they're still, like, you know, there were some retirees, um, some of them are huge, you know. Uh, um, some came with, oh, one woman. She was there with her husband, I think, and she was already a grandmother. Like, I was impressed to see her. Do they ask you a ton of questions about Israel? So they were, I think, you know what's funny? We're like, they feel as uncomfortable and shy around us as we do around them. Yeah, inevitably, Because sure. they're football players and we're techies. And they don't really know what to ask or what to say. And we don't really know. So we're all trying to make each other feel did comfortable. Did you ask? Did, did you? Um, you know, so once again, let's go back to the beginning, which is that you just want to make people happy and smile and feel yes, comfortable. So you did that? Yeah, I did. Okay. I did, okay. yeah. You were a good wanna, hostess. Yeah, I was a hostess with yeah, the hostess. Yeah, yeah. I tried to make them feel comfortable. But that was really cool. And uh, Startup Nation has offices there. And because we're very involved with them as well, when I want to have meetings, I'll, I'll oftentimes book a room there. And go to their lovely offices right there on Lillenbloom Bloom Street, um, just near Nevet Sedek as well, off of Herzl. Um, so, um, but that's just you know right now I've I've built this up over the years. I've developed a huge network um, in Europe, the U.S., Japan, China, um, and what what I've done is I've um, I've I've created a huge network of people, commercial specifically corporations. I understand what they're looking for. Yeah. And so when they come to Israel, I help them to connect to the companies. And in the startups, I stay in touch and stay on top. And I scout who are doing unique things and who's who's innovative, um, who's the next big thing. And then when delegations come, I can help them to set up meetings and meet the companies. Um, it's hard to make money from that. Um, basically, uh, Israelis don't do retainers and people coming abroad generally have expectations of being hosted and, you know, cared for. Right. I generally work on the side of like help helping companies and then them giving me some sort of finder's fee for helping them to connect. But um, my my general work is usually with one specific startup that I'm helping to scale. So right now, as I mentioned, it's Stellar Nova and it's a STEM education company and we're working on getting teaching kids um, about STEM. Why wouldn't you invest in these companies? I invest my time and my energy. Why wouldn't you invest money? I am investing. For example, if I went into a commercial company, I would be I would make three times what I make in a startup. In the startup, I give of myself and take equity. 
um, from the company. And I basically, my investment is my skill set and my ability to help them reach the bigger market. So, you know, the a pie that's worth nothing, you know, having the whole pie, you know, founders understand that that's worth nothing is much worse than having three quarters of the pie that's worth something. And that's kind of the value I offer them. No, I'm just curious if you yeah. see value in these companies, why don't you take the step of saying, hey, I'd like to invest some money in them? Uh, we don't have money in Israel. Yeah, I know you don't. We don't have money. We live day to day. Um, we have money this, to live yeah. with respect, like to live, um, to be able, we work hard to make sure our kids have certain things that maybe people take for granted in Canada. I don't know, but education, um, extracurricular activities is not a given. Yeah. And my kids, my boys play baseball, soccer, um, kung fu. That's Tuvia, my little baby, who's 10. Right. I came home one day and he had like made himself into a kung fu warrior. <laughs> Did he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, my boys all play baseball like crazy, which is not necessarily an accepted thing in Israel. The baseball league um, is a national baseball league in Israel. They actually have won in championships and nobody knows they exist. Oh, I, I've heard of them. Yeah, I know a yeah. little bit about baseball in Israel. Yeah. yeah Hockey so, as well. It's an anomaly. I mean, it's an absolute anomaly. Right. So in Efrat, there's like a huge, like really well-supported league. And the boys play all the time. They play with their dad. Their dad plays with them, which is Are, really are they nice. good? Are they good at baseball? They're good. Are they? So Aaron, my 18-year-old, he's a catcher. Uh, Binyamin, my 13-year-old, believe he's going to be like pro one day. He's right. amazing. They love him. He really is good. He has he's a good really, arm. Yeah, and he has good equipment too. He looks so cool. I have to take a picture of him. Right, you can look cool out there in the. Oh, baseball. he looks cool. I just yeah. went to a Blue Jays game with my son, and we were about four rows up. Our uh, family member Ezra has seasons tickets, and you watch these guys walk out on the field. And this is why I asked you how the football players look because there's something godly about these guys. Okay, so maybe, but their this... necks are huge. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. Well, what's the maybe? What's the maybe? So the, the soccer players, it's hilarious. Why? Because they play from a young, young age. Right. And you don't need much to play soccer. Usually you need a pair of cleats shoes. It's different than football shoes. They're soccer shoes specifically. Shorts and a ball. Shorts and a ball. And even the nets you can make out of two stones, and right? Okay. Right, right. But they usually have nets because they play a lot. And so he plays, okay. And <laughs> then you see them growing up, and they're still playing, and they're still playing. And then there's like these games where you're there at night, and all of a sudden, you know, you finish the baseball game, they're packing up, and you see all these guys in their late 20s show up to play they won't give up you know like and they they show up in like their nike or like their adidas flip-flop shoes you know those like shower shoe thingies yes I do. and like they're they show up because after you play soccer you can't put on shoes after your feet hurt you so so they tie their shoes tight you know it's like right so they show up with like the loosest shoes possible they look like total schlemiels like just total joe like schmoes like and then they get onto the field. You see them play. You're like, wow. Yeah. You're amazing. But you yeah. know, afterwards, they're going to turn back into these. Yeah. Like, no, that's the way it like is. Yeah. You know why? Because it's a magical thing for them. Yeah. They really come alive they, on the they field. They transport to another place, like back to the future. Somebody was telling me recently that they play in a league where an 80-year-old man uh, plays hockey <laughs> with them. Can you imagine that? 80 years old. That's pretty good. That's beautiful. That's pretty good. So I love it. Where are you at as far as love? Um, good question. Such a lovely person like you. Thanks, Avram. You're welcome. Well, what about you? Oh, you're turning this show on oh. me, are you? I have intimacy issues. I can say that. Can My we'll mom's gone. that offline. I have intimacy issues. Where are you at with love? So I think I have a very big heart. I think I can love very openly and freely. Um, do you remember when Bubby, we used to ask her, 
am I your favorite? And she'd say, yeah. And then someone else would say, am I your favorite? And she'd say, yeah. And we go, Bubby, how can we both be your favorite? And she'd say, because my heart is so big, I can love everyone like they're my favorite. Right. And when we spoke at her funeral in Jerusalem, um, that's what everybody said. Everybody yeah. said, I know I was her favorite. I know it. Like, it's not like a question. I know I was, right? So where are you at with love? So I think love has been very challenging for me over the years because of cultural things, first of all, in Israel. Um, I, I don't know if I can say this, but for a long time I really loved black men and there are no beautiful black men in no. Israel. Yeah. I have a that buddy was, who married a Jamaican woman. Yeah, I really... Uh, he's got a real thing about Jamaican I women. really loved... Like, I was one time, I was lying on the beach with my friend, and she kept going, look at that guy, isn't he hot? And I was just like, meh, eh, it's okay. And all of a sudden, this black man walked by, and I was like... <gasps> and I realized, like, I wasn't... It wasn't that I wasn't interested. I just wasn't interested in that. Um, so that was something I felt him. challenging. Yeah. I, I, and I, I wonder what that is. I wonder what that is. So that's interesting. And then... The other part is that I, I also made a very conscious decision in my life to um, to not sacrifice um, my ch- time with my children. Yeah. And so I work a lot. I really give to my family and my children. There's not that much time left to date. I have a very weird div- like separation, uh, divorce agreement. Like um, I have them full time. I have full custody. And they go to their dad like, you know, on a on a round of three as opposed to two, which divorcees usually it's one yes, one no. So there wasn't really any room for me to have a relationship with divorcees, but then single people wouldn't work because they had different goals and desires for relationships and mm-hmm. like people hadn't been married. And so there was always that challenge because of my my reality. Um, and then actually, I don't know how I'll feel when I listen to this a year from now, but recently I did meet someone who made me laugh and who kind of sparked that feeling of joy within me. Lovely. And so that was nice for me to see. I don't know what will be with that, and I don't know where that will lead, but I was really happy to see that I have that ability to to uh, un- to peel off a layer of my heart that hasn't like that I haven't given freely to. What do you like in love? Um, I'm giving. I'm also very I'm a very rational person. So I don't uh, do well with uh, people who um, do things that are self-destructive. It bothers me. It's irrational to me. Like, I, do, I need the person who I'm with to love themselves as much as I love them, um, which means I have a high expectation of them. So so what are your foibles in love? I have no problem walking away. Oh, I can, what I, does that stem from? Um my approach to life, which is the the no suffering approach. You know, people sometimes talk about relationships in the in the context of you have to work hard at it. They use the word work. You have to sacrifice. They use the word sacrifice. And in a sense, even before I, I was connected to the world of yoga, it was very much my approach that I said, why do you have to suffer? Yes. If you're both hurting each other or if you're both suffering or it's too hard why do you need to stay there we we were brought up to believe that you know relationships are forever and i don't believe that i believe that there's love that comes and you make the most of it at the time that it comes right and so i'm willing to walk away if something is becomes destructive or or so i'm I'm asking something a little bit differently it's Uh, hard for me to answer as you can tell yeah so listen to me maybe you'll take a lead from your uncle here Okay, go for it. Um, I I uh, need space, a ton of it, 
and I do because um, I really only re-energize when I when I'm by myself. Yeah, I can get that. Right. Um, I I I need to think. I need to um, create. And um, as much you know, this there's a secret about being a single parent, which I am as well, is that you love your time off. Yes. Right. Yes, you, you love, love it. it. Like, you love it. C.K. Lewis, like Louis C.K. Right. Yeah. So he does a he does a whole skit about that, like where like he's the most on on parent, and then when they leave, he just me too, like like a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me too. Yeah, like, yeah, I could sit on that couch over there, <laughs> Booby's couch, for like two hours and stare. And all Sam being philosophical, right? So that's the thing is that uh, is that I think the women who I've been with will tell you that um, yeah, I need lots of space, and I can I can in my old days I used to go off and hide a lot. I don't know if you remember that about me. No. Yeah, we just I would go AWOL and uh, come back eventually, and sometimes it was only emotional, emotionally yeah. that I would go AWOL. But eventually I would come back. So I, I don't know if that, if you call that a foible, or if you call that a challenge. But I know any woman woman that I would, if I were to meet a woman and fall in love and have create a relationship with, um, which I'd like to. I mean, who wouldn't, right? That would be their challenge. That would be something that I kind of fall short on. I'm not going to be everything to anyone. I'm just so not. Except I to myself. Could I maybe phrase it like this? That basically, when you give, it's on your terms. And so if someone, basi- like basically. I'm pretty giving. I am pretty You giving. are giving. And when you give, it's like, but you can't give on demand. What does that mean? Meaning someone says to you, I need you now. I want you available oh. now. Like I'm not good at responding. I've seen my friends who are in relationships when they have messages with their partner. And like they'll write and they'll write back right away. And it'll be, co- and I'm not good with that. Like, <laughs> you know, if someone way. writes to me, like I'll be like three days later. Oh, wait. Right. I was supposed to answer. Like that's not. When someone's in front of me, with me, whatever I can be, but like I'm not, I really do like that, right? Like you said, that the time on my own, um, yeah, it's a personal, it's a personal space thing, maybe. It yeah. is. It is. I think being a single parent is so, so intense. And I don't, I think we need to give a little bit of credit to that. Um, I think right so here. too. Like, I think so too. You know, we're giving full time to kids when they're around. They want our attention, they want our space, like our, 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 our complete like love and, and giving and you know we do that and then it's so true like when you hear athletes speak about what well, well you know what was the thing that propelled you to get into the nba or whatever league they'll say well, it was my mom right yeah it was my mom sometimes it's my dad but more often than not it was my mom and then you press them on it a little bit and you go what do you mean well she was always there for me she always pushed me she always encouraged me she always reminded me about who i was and i could achieve my goals like one day your son who plays baseball you know and he's he's going to reach the mlb here in north america he's going to be a professional baseball player That's right. and they go what brought you here from israel well it was my ima it was my <laughs> mom and then they're going to ask about you right yeah, yeah, I think, uh, you know, even my 18-year-old son, he went through a very hard time in his life. Uh, at, yeah, and during his teenage years, there were times we didn't know if he would really make it. Like, anyone has a teenager, uh, I don't know how it is in Canada. Prob- do people hide their teenagers' challenges? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, big I was, time. I was very open about the challenges I went through. Um, and I made sure it, it gave a lot of support and strength to the other parents who are going through it. And um, I feel it's really important to... To give people that strength, but people hide their. Ch- I call it hiding your children in the basement. Yeah, I get it. Um, and it went through a very hard time, and there were times I didn't know what would happen, and I was always, 
I would always like say a prayer to myself, like before I'd have to go into something challenging and say, you know, God, please give me the right words and give me the right, you know, decision. May help me make the right decisions because here's a life who's in my hands. I don't know if parents realize how how amazing it is they were given the opportunity to raise this soul, yes. this person into the world. Like, wow. And uh, I would always pray that, you know, I should have the right words. And, and he made it through a very hard time. And the managers that he uh, works with in like his job now today, he learned car mechanics. He's going to be he's going to be learning um, very advanced mechanics and uh, um, including hybrid cars and so on for two years before he goes into the army. The army is paying for him before he goes into the Israeli army. And when I go to see his managers at his garage, he works, you know, in Eged in, you know, Jerusalem. The bus they, company. Yeah, yeah. And he does the big bus work. It's really hard, you know. And he says, uh, they say to me always, like, they, they respect me greatly because they know how much I gave in. And that's his mama. That's his mama. Yeah. That's his mama. Like, Aaron's mama, when I show up, Aaron will say to me, you know, if anyone else parked their car like you did, you know, my manager would go nuts on them, but he'll never say a word to that's you. That's nice. I like that. Right? Yeah, I like that. Not that I did it on purpose. No, an appreciation yeah. for a parent, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll go out of my way to say to a stranger who just did a lovely thing for their child, I go, wow, you're a really good mom or you're a really good dad. That's so nice. Well, it's nice to hear because a lot of parenting is drudgery. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they're younger. It's like very like uh, just, yeah, just caring, physical feeding caring, right and they're like, a pain in the ass kids yeah and they like they never sleep and they always want more and <laughs> i know i know <laughs> and they still want more and i they know want more. And my son like he's really getting a little bit into clothing bought him a really nice t-shirt the other day it's not and there's a, there's a little stain on it he goes well daddy can we get that off and i tell him i go honey when i was a kid it was a badge of honor when your shirt was ripped and full of mud i used to remember i love oh getting bruises but it's different nowadays right so I said to my son when he turned 18, I said, what a hoax. I said, shouldn't, you know, and my daughter's 20, so it's not yeah. like what everybody did. You know, you graduated high school. Why are you still here? Aren't you supposed to ride off into the sunset <laughs> and we wave? Like, why don't they tell, like, kids are also coming back home a lot today. They're living at home till a much later age and expecting their parents to support them and so on. It's really. So are you, are you, uh, over, over, overall, would you say you're, you're Mopsutis? You're happy? You're satisfied? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I worked really hard. Um, I constantly work hard to keep um, the equilibrium. Um, so there's like the equilibrium, which is like, you know, as long as my kids are okay, yes. I'm okay. Um, it's like my auntie Javi, if you interviewed, she once said, you know, you're only, you're always only as good as your child who's the worst off. Right. So, you know, as long as my kids are okay, I'm okay. Uh, my career is really important to me. And uh, I also find that I, um, I look for bliss. So people look for happiness, which is always dependent on things and people and places. And my, my goal, like my, my really hard work, uh, and I use the word work again, which is like, I guess we're so used to everything being hard, but really my focus in life and my personal development is to reach bliss, which is this feeling of contentment um, satisfaction, I don't know what the word would be, that doesn't have to do with time or place. Do you find you a meaning in your life? Yeah, I do. I don't know what it is. I don't... Well, it's the opposite of that big black hole in your gut. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Do you remember that black hole? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I was a person... So when you're sitting alone, you're highly lonely because you don't have enough of yourself. And then when you start to develop your inner world, your inner life, your inner voice slowly 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 that pit gets smaller and smaller yeah do yeah. you like your inner voice more so than ever 
but it, it it was huge. It was like a it was like a, on the. <coughs> Sorry, your cat. No, your it's cats. Okay. I'm allergic to cats. I've been so good till now. I didn't cough at all. You had because it was a choice <coughs> between kicking you out or Lily, my cat. No, she's and really lovely. It would have been you. I know. <laughs> I have my one of my best friends has four or five cats. She has a soft heart and she. She's always adopting street cats and making them into her own. And at one point she was like, I was like, Laura, how can I stay with you? And yeah. like, you have all these cats. And I just take an allergy pill for goodness yeah, sake. Like, like chill, dude. Chill. She's like, just take a fucking allergy pill and, and like you'll be stay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Devorah, we're, we're going to wrap up. Um, the answer to your question is, yeah, I had this huge volcanic um, thing in my gut and, and, and it would explode now and then with sadness and loneliness, but I've worked on that a lot over the years. And it's not as if I can't go that way. It's one do you of those... write? Do you still yeah, write? Yeah, I write a lot. Me too. Never write a lot. You do too. Yeah, writing is so therapeutic. Are you, you a good writer? Yeah, I think so. Metaphors? Also. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's something about writing. Yeah, writing is great. And you read. I do read. What are you reading nowadays? It's a lot of it has to do with strategy. I'm interested um, in, I guess... Uh, so, you know, uh, Ron, uh, Dan Ariely, uh, is that his name? He's a social economist. Yeah, of course. So I'm very interested in the social technology, the yeah. idea behind what makes people use technology, the trends. That's how I scout. So those yes. are the things I'm interested in. I don't really know who he is, by the way. but <laughs> <laughs> I probably said his name wrong anyway. I'm reading, um, <coughs> I'm reading a book by Arya Kaplan about meditation and Judaism. Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. fascinating. Wow. Yeah, I love it. I was reading the hundred-year-old man who something got up and left, something like that. It's it about bell. this man who's like a hundred years old, and they're about to celebrate his birthday, and he realizes his life isn't over, and he just in his slippers with a suitcase just leaves That'll be through me. the window. That'll be me. I love that book. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, do you have a distant uh, dream of walking out one day and just going on your own? Like just like running. So my kids always joke, like who who are you going to run away with when you run away? Or who are you running away from? And who's from? your favorite, right? So they'll be like, you know, they all think that they're the favorite. And I always be like, I'm taking Shmuel because he always laughs at my jokes. <laughs> That's like the ongoing thing. Like each one of them, why I would take them with when mm, I run away. I like that. Right? So like, you know, I'm taking Tovia because he's the only one who wants to spend time with me and have conversations that are not including like a smartphone, you Very know? Good. Are so, you a good stranger? When you go to China, you said you're in Japan. Oh, yeah. Are you a good stranger? You're walking on the streets of China, major city. <clears throat> no, nobody. Nobody knows you. Nobody knows where you are. You are a stranger at that point. Is there <laughs> something about that you really like? Uh, and every culture is different. I have no sense of direction, which means I get lost. A lot. Yeah. And then I have to ask people for help. In Japan, if you ask for help, they have to walk you all the way till where you are. And I Really? Just, culturally so they'll pretend they don't understand you sometimes if they're really in a rush because once they ask they have to walk you the whole way so you know you end up talking to them and there was this couple on a date i felt terrible and i so i tried to talk to both of them <laughs> until i got there um and here, then here in, in canada not, nothing in toronto it's nothing like that yeah they may tell you the directions where it's at they'll be like sort of on the face of it polite um, but no way in heck would they drive you there walk you there not a chance in hell so the way i connect to a city is through three things I always do yoga in the city. I find the yoga gurus. Oh. I see what the culture is like. Good I find one. out who the people are. Um, there's an Ayurveda doctor, Dr. Sonal, here on Lawrence that I never knew about that I'm dying to meet, you know. So that's one thing. The other thing is I dance salsa. Do you? So I go to salsa clubs cool. in all over the world. Oh, cool. So interesting. There's like a Texan who opened up a salsa club in Manila in the Philippines. Wow. And I went there. I met him. He asked wow. him, why'd you move here? It was his dream, you know. So interesting. And the other thing is through running. I run the streets. I find when you run the streets, it's different than taking buses, cabs. You know, you see things. I was running once in 
Prague, I think it was, and I was running up a hill, and all of a sudden I saw the Israel embassy on my right. Wow. And I was like, oh, you know, like a connection. Oh, here it is. Fantastic. I see you as well-developed. Do you see yourself that way? I'm always working on it. Yeah, yeah, you seem like, you know, we all have different parts to us, and I think the goal is to integrate them so we become one big whole. I th- not as an H-O-L-E, but we become a unit. Yeah. I think, I think, I think it's through parenting. I really, really wanted to be able to answer my children in a way that made sense to them and to understand each kid is like a startup. Yeah. So I've been like managing these five startups and I'm good at some and not so good at others. And I have to like understand the business model. And the (laughs) the payment is love. (laughs) So we are coming to a close, my dear listeners. And I want to thank you so much for joining Devorah and I in our schmooze. Yeah, thank you. It was a good one. How was it for you? So nice. First of all, uncle, you know, I love you. I love you too. I love that we have this connection. You know, we've gone our own ways. We've had different lives. Yeah. Come back, gone, come back. We experienced Bobby's death together. And we were in the room when she we died. We were in the room. Um, there was four of us who I feel it was a very momentous thing. Why yeah, the four of us some, were there. Yeah. I think we all have that in our mind and we see each other. Yeah. Um, and I, I love your parenting. I love your son. Thank you. And um, I love your voice. Thank you. I love your spirit, your creator, your uh, artists, and so many ways. I took pictures of your apartment because every corner here is so artistic and creative. Like, I'm just... I appreciate that. I just love Thank it. You. So for me, to be able to be a part of your creativity and your art is really... I feel really honored. So well, thank you. Well, it's beautiful to hear that. And part of it is because I know you forever. Right. Right? Like, I remember when you were born and yeah. when you were two... Man, you were an adorable little kid, eh? Oh, when I was, yeah, I, I I remember, like, I felt like I was an adult from, like, at such a young age. Did you really? Oh, yeah. I, I really felt like I was an adult, and I just visited my childhood friend yesterday, um, Dr. Geft and his wife and my daughter, Bacha, and they said to me, I said something about always feeling like an adult, and they said to me, before you were an adult from a very Interesting. young age. But I, I want to say to my listeners, I always like to close off the show by just discussing one or two things very quickly about what what you might want to take out of this discussion between Devorah, my niece, and myself. Sounds like the three of us. I thought we were going to sing a song. We could have. Okay. We can close the show with a song, you know? <laughs> we wanna... Okay, but go on. Should we? Maybe one from Bobby. <laughs> I was thinking like Oifen Perpachuk. Do you know the song? I do. Do you? Or Rome Dem Fire. Those are great songs. Okay, hold on. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> so, so I think one of the things you can take out of this show is you're listening to a woman who has grown up beautifully and has become a very responsible mother and developed a career and all of this in Israel, which is not an easy country to live in. So I think one of the things that I take out of our discussion, and perhaps other people will as well, is perseverance, tenacity, and courage. Because I'm sure there were times where you were alone raising those five kids where you must have gone out of your mind. Yeah. That's a real challenge. And to be in a country where there's no expectation you're going to be, make money, right? <laughs> yeah. You live in an environment which is certainly not where I live here in Toronto. There's a danger to it, right? Mm. There's an everlasting, ever ongoing danger. And I think the other thing is what I like to talk about on Hat Radio is meaning and purpose. I said to you before, you seem to have meaning. You asked me, what is it or do I? Which was very good of you to say that because it means that you're still searching. But your whole body of work, Devorah Mason, in of itself, reflects a very uh, beautiful and rich life, right? 
you know, I, I often say to people, it sounds a little bit maudlin, but I've, I've had two heart attacks and I had to ask myself this question. If I go tomorrow, am I satisfied? And the answer was, yeah, I've done okay. I've done well. Mm-hmm. Are you satisfied? Definitely. Um, I've had the opportunity in my life uh, to do, and I mean, I know you're a big uh, advocate of this as well, tikkun olam. In Repairing so the many, world. Yeah, in so many random situations where I was given the opportunity to do something, whether it was out of choice or not. And so I, I, I don't know um, if I would do anything differently. What I have to say is that one of the things I do is I make sure I always work with honest people and good people. I make sure that I always try to be honest myself um, and to do good for people. And I always want to look at myself in the mirror every day and and be proud and like feel good. And I think I do. Uh, I think that we the only thing was guaranteed in life is that we will be with ourselves Correct. until the day we die. We Correct. know that for certain. Yes. I know for certain I will accompany myself through my life. And so if I know for sure that I will accompany myself through my life, who is that person? Um, Very good. Very good. The other thing I learned recently is that if you leave strawberries in the fridge long enough, they will get little white things on them. Really? Yeah, so that's that's a given. amazing. Should I write that down? No, just throw out your strawberries early. (laughs) No, it's beautiful what you're saying. It really is. Well, Ontario strawberries are beautiful. Yeah, they are. And they have some taste to it, too. They're delicious. They're wonderful. Yeah. I think fruits and vegetables in Israel taste like something, don't they? They're delicious. I know. But they don't have berries. It's just like, you know, blueberries now are in season. They're just so delicious. Yeah. You know. Have you ever heard of fiddleheads? No, what's that? No, I'll tell you later. <laughs> you want to think? You want to sing "Oif and Pivot Church"? I don't know. I think I don't we know. should. It's either that or we could sing. Um, what? Uh, well, we're, there's a song. Were you ever on a picnic? But we used to sing. So, so sing it. I don't know the words. Which one? So I do Yiddish I'll, or I'll English? Hum. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can change in the middle. Okay, so I'll start with a "Oif and Pivot Go, go, go. Okay. Oifen Pripachok, Brenta Fireon, Dish to Viz Haste, Under Abeler and Kleinek in the Lach, Dem Alif Pays, Under Abeler and Kleinek in the Lach, Dem Alif Pays. Were you ever on a picnic where the summer skies were blue and the green grass for a table and for tablecloth too? I love that. With the flowers uh, made of oak leaf tied together with a string and the cups made out of birch bark, birch bark you could drink from the spring. Sweet. That's Bobby. Yeah, that's Bobby. It's an ode. We an start, ode to Bobby. We started with Bobby. We're finishing with it's Bobby. It's an ode to Bobby. I want to thank my listeners once again for listening to Hat Radio. It's the show that schmoozes. Do you like that? I like that. The show that schmoozes, right? I love schmoozing. I love schmoozing, too. <laughs> and uh, my guest today has been my niece, Devorah. Thank Thanks, you. Deborah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, us. Uncle. You're welcome, dear. My niece. <laughs> God bless. Step inside my living room. Share a little talk. Our roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height